Good afternoon and welcome to The Therapy Files. I am here with my colleague Callum, as always. Hiya, Craig. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's a uh, first episode since, like, I don't know, like three months, is yeah, it? Yeah, the, 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 we ended with Dastardly Dictators, was it early June? So we've had a couple of months off and I think that the world is ready for us to be back. Indeed, I quite agree. And as always, we are sponsored by our wonderful colleagues It's One Shaw. If you need a kitchen or a shop run, you won't find any better company. Visit One Shaw on Instagram and Facebook. And due to the content that we've got today, if you don't visit them, you could be in serious trouble. Indeed, we could. <laughs> Did you want to introduce the subject today, Craig? Yeah. So today's topic is Mafia. Or otherwise known as organised crime. Probably to kind of put a bit more on that with you, Craig, there, we're not just looking at the Mafia, so the Sicilian Mafia, we're looking at uh, gangs from across the world. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just thinking, in general, what would you say organised crime is? Uh, in terms of, in terms, I suppose, it says from a criminological standpoint, I suppose it would be a form of infrastructure used to obviously gain profit, um, to from others, you know, and that would be done through, obviously, by the means of illegal activity. So it's an organisation which is round to, well, I suppose, oppress and also gain from from the from things from others, you know. Yeah. The definition you've got down here... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, please read ...regarding it. the Mafia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was created to suppress French invaders in the 13th century in Sicily. It was. Um, in the early 18th century to the early 19th century, Sicilian immigrants sought refuge in the US due to social innovation and natural disasters and pervading support after the American Civil War. The Mafia was then established in various states across the US, namely New York and Chicago. Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's, you know, there's some obviously notorious families that come from that, like Genovese crime family, the Bonanno family. Um, and the one, what did I send you last night, Craig? What was the, what, what was the, what was the episode of the family called from that? The Gambino. The Gambino family. crime family, the Colombo crime family, of course, and the, I apologise to my Italian and Sicilian brothers and sisters, I'm going to butcher this name, the Lucchese crime family or the Lucchese crime family. Excellent. Um, so we're kind of, we're, we're, I, think, I think obviously, as everyone knows, I've got a bit of a background in criminology and obviously we are here on a therapy And part. if you don't know, please revisit previous episodes. Yes, what, what he said. I think one of, the, one of the interesting things that we need to kind of discuss, I think, in terms of organised crime, is it's not just, I mean, you know, we're not just talking about large scale organisations, although we have listed and given examples of that. We're kind of discussing this, I suppose, to gain an idea of the, the role that it plays within our society because it's such a normalised thing and it's also something that some that everyone seems to gravitate towards as well. We've almost accepted organised crime as part of our society. So mm-hmm. as therapists and as sociologists, because thank you, Gary, for your wonderful feedback, but we are also um, sociologists as well as therapists, yeah. we would like to look into this. Of course. How is the mafia split up, really? Mm. Or what are the roles? What are the defining roles in the mafia? Of course. So obviously... To, I suppose it's talking about how we kind of start with how somebody gets into the, to the mafia. There's often a ceremony that takes place. Obviously, people are recruited. Mm-hmm. Um, very Catholic, because obviously Sicilian immigration is strictly Catholic in religion. What will often happen is a finger will be pricked, and some vows will be made, and it'll be done over a picture of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what happens is the the person who then becomes a soldier, or otherwise known as a wise guy, or a made man, mm-hmm. if you want to um, if you want to call it that way as well, uh, will then pledge his allegiance, his or her, not his allegiance 
change to the Mafia. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mafia also stands for um, Cos- Cosm Nofra, which means this thing of ours in Italian as well. That's more of the underlings. We also have them. We have the captains, the dons, and the dons are traditionally the people who run the family. So we're talking about people like Fat Tony yeah. in The Simpsons, Absolutely. for example. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Joey Bonanno was a, was a fair example of yeah. that. And also... Um, Good Dotty. Good Dotty, yes. Good Dotty. Yeah, John Dotty. Yeah. He was the most recent. He was fascinating. He, he, really, he was, really was. was a, uh, I think we would have had a, uh, a field day as therapist with him, Craig. Never mind sociologist, but as, 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 well, as yeah. therapist, I think we would have some fine. You know, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, I, I, I harken back. You know, I've given one of the examples of how the mafia has been ingrained in pop culture as the Sopranos. You know, where Tony, you know, very much takes on that role of becoming a becoming a client for a, for a psychologist, doesn't mm-hmm. he? You know, have you watched Sopranos? Craig? I haven't. No, it's on my list. It's absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely Excellent. phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, so I think, so I suppose, I guess looking into it, we're, we're looking into what ways, um, obviously we're saying about what ways the, the Mafia fit into, fit into our society, but we should also look at what kind of crimes that they are kind of involved in. Um, would you like to give an example, uh, Craig, of what kind of things they would do? So, notable crimes organised in syndicates, organised in a syndicate. So they, they deal in racketeering and protection. They also deal in loan sharking. Uh, narcotics, pornography, uh, prostitution, and moida. Moida. <laughs> moida. That was that was a really good. Uh, really good impression. No offense caused by the way to our beloved New York or Chicago people there. Uh, they also deal in extortion and blackmail as they well. They do. They do you know. indeed. Yeah. I, I think it is worth noting as well. I, I say this a lot. I suppose this fact is in creates what we're coming back before about how they've been ingrained in society. Um, most organised crime syndicates, the mafia, are no difference to this, have the fronts um, which are actual legitimate businesses um, that mask illegal activities. So, for example, bakeries, restaurants, and betting shops as well. I mean, it's traditional Italian, isn't it? They always do business in places of food and culture. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, obviously, I think the mafia of all, you know, we talked about the mafia specifically here, but, you know, in terms of the mafia, I suppose they've never strayed too far from their Italian, sorry, not Italian, Sicilian, I apologise, Sicilian roots. Please don't put a horse on my pillow. Um, I don't deserve that. I'm a nice guy. Um, so it's, it's very it's very interesting, actually. And I think, I suppose, Craig, what, what I wanted to ask you for myself, obviously, obviously, I've massive interest in this because I've been a criminologist. But you know, in terms of in terms of therapy and in, ter- in terms of your work in sociology, have you ever come across something that was in, involved in that before? In kind of in kind of a, a gang gang culture. To be honest, specifically to do with mob bosses and all of that, no. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of work around gang culture. Sure. So. Have you ever heard of the broken window? Thing yes, and of things course, like that. Of course. I think it was it Baldwin and yeah. was it Baldwin and Bottoms? It, it might was. have been. Uh, they talked about the idea of broken window sort of being reflecting the way in which society is actually working in under, in underclass areas, so sure. to speak, and uh, that was often connected to working class gangs and things like that. And often there was studies from like the sociology of education that looked at working class boys yeah uh tony sewell particularly looked at uh, attainment in education for working class boys um found some really interesting stuff Mm -hmm. but a lot of the boys were still involved in in crime definitely um i know that's probably a stereotypical view of a um black student but 
it is what it is. Um, I mean, we, we you know academia in the past, Craig. Well, no, the past, presently as well, has always been notoriously classist and racist at times, hasn't it? it we, has, you know, we, yeah. we can't not, you know, as, as sociologists and as you know, what well, your mother sociologist, I'm more criminologist, but in that in, of that model, we can't not acknowledge that. Do you know mm. what I mean? It has it has always been that way. And I suppose we, you know, you talked about the Sicilian immigration. You know, it goes back again. It was working class people escaping. Um, well, I would say oppression, but certainly escaping difficulties and coming over. You know, mm-hmm. as working class people, and then establishing these organisations, which is yeah. it's, it's very fascinating. And in terms of the broken window theory, it completely fits, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Really. And also, I'm thinking about Merton's strain theory. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the different strains, but the strain theory was quite interesting mm-hmm. from what I remember. Definitely, I actually wrote my first. Believe it or not, a bit of a wild fact for you guys. My first ever exam in criminology was regarding the broken window theory and the strain theory. So oh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of. That's trauma coming out for me there, guys. I apologise. Thank you for that, Craig. Contributing to that film. No, it's absolutely fine. But we'll, we'll come on to the kind of the bigger picture of this. We'll just go through some of the other other members that we put down. Obviously, we're not just talking about kind of, I suppose, what we call in criminology, a deviant behaviour. We'll talk about more legitimate, organised crime syndicates. So, yeah. although obviously, anybody who knows me knows I have a massive interest in Japanese culture, but massively the, the Yakuza, I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, so, I'm just going to get hold of my piece of paper that has that pen, because I've written it down. Because, guys, I have a memory of a sieve, so... And we do like to prepare, and we have notes. We do. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. Yeah, absolutely. So let's have a look. So the Yakuza, obviously, many people may or may not know this, um, is comes from the, the, the term comes from a Japanese game uh, called Chohan, which means no points. So Yakuza has no meaning. It basically means that it's a it's a poor hand that's been given, which is quite poetic in certain ways, I suppose. Mm. And the, the tragic villain kind of thing of you know no hand, no hope, might as well join somewhere else, which I always found fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, a Komen is an advisor subordinate to the Seiko. Uh, Seiko Komon, I apologise for my pronunciation. Um, Sobhon Butchino is the headquarters chief, subordinate to the Seiko Komon, and Seiko Komon senior advisor. The primary administrative assistant is the Oyobun, and the Oyobun is the head of the Yakuza. So that would be their don in, in, in terms of the, um, the graphic. There are, many people probably already know this, but there are three main Yakuza families that are in Japan. There are, of course, sub brackets, as, as with anything, but three main ones are the Nagawa Kai, the Suminori Oshikai and the Yamaguchi Gumi Inagawa Kai, they're the largest group based in Tokyo. I'd just like to applaud you for your pronunciation. It sounds brilliant. I think I've, I've, I'm sure if we have some Japanese listeners, I'm sure they'll be absolutely shaking their heads at that. So I apologise in advance. I thought you were great. Actually. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, where are they based, Callum? Uh, so one of them's based in Tokyo. Uh, the other ones are based, I believe, in southern Japan. I mean, to be honest, Craig, they're, about, they're based around Japan, but the, the main areas is Tokyo, Osaka. Uh, and I believe Kyoto, but don't quote me on that. Again, that that's purely off the top of my mm-hmm. head. I should have written that down, but I I, I didn't because I'm lazy. Don't and, worry. And didn't. Um, and obviously, despite both being linked to organised crimes, many gangsters' organisations are considered pillars of the community, and that is no truer than the Yakuza. The Yakuza have often been called Japan's nece- necessary evil um, because they've, one, one uh, obviously they've done atrocities, but they've also, at the same time, they've helped communities. They're known to buy children's school uniforms. When the massive um, tsunami hit in 2010 in Japan, they were the first people there to provide aid to families as well. So mm. there are some benefits to, to these systems as well, and that's something we have to acknowledge as well, Craig, is... As much as they cause issues in our society, there also seem to be some positives as well, mm. which is really, really interesting, I think. I mean, I, I watched, um, I did some homework last night. Uh-huh. Um, I was given a documentary to watch, dear listener, uh, the Gambino family documentary. 
Um, You're welcome. Really brilliant. Thank you, Callum. I was really struck how they were talking about Gambino as this friendly old man. Sure. That you wouldn't actually... The gentle Dom. ...suspect that he was like, you know... Like sure. ordering hits on people and all no, that. No, and that's the thing is, I think sometimes we forget Craig. And what I find really interesting as a therapist as well. I don't know what you think about this, but we often just think of them as the gangster or the don or the oyabun. We don't think of them as the father, the mm. brother, the son. Mm. Which is quite interesting, isn't it? It really is because you know many people have different sort of um, roles to play, different sort of hats, Absolutely. different um, sort of aspects to their lives um, just like you you're a therapist mm-hmm. you're a father yeah you're a best friend you're a pain in the backside that's my favorite title of all dear listener <laughs> but you know um and just like me i work for the council so mm-hmm. i'm a business support assistant i'm also a friend i'm also a therapist in training feminist a feminist as well so we all wear different hats so it's really interesting to see that people just tend to tar people in the mafia with just one simple sort of tactic. Definitely. And I think I think there were many people in those kind of areas, such as the Bronx and you know, areas of New York and Chicago, who would very much turn around and say that many of the, the members helped them. You know, you know, I remember there was a story about one the kind of which Don it was. Um it might have been Bonanno. But they were saying about Sammy the it might have been Sammy the Bull. Anyway, I digress. Oh, poorly. Oh, poorly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they were talking about him and they were saying that, you know, how he used to pay for... One guy was saying how he used to pay for his mother's electric bill or he would buy groceries for them. And she's like, you know, this guy to me wasn't evil. He was, if anything, a kind of an uncle figure. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd buy any comic books, you know. Yeah. Um, he said when, you know, when he went down for the crime, I was really upset because he's like, I'd, my entire illusion of what he was was kind of shattered. Yeah. You know. And I think, interestingly, I think it was Big Paulie's wife who was in that documentary last night, and they mentioned her as being, like, a real key part of the sure. family in terms of not just being a mother, but also sort of smoothing over situations sure. where she would be the typical Italian host. When you went to her front door, she would let you in, and she would ask you about your mother, about your father, your and mother. how your children are doing, um, all that kind of thing. And by the end would have smoothed it all over yeah. and nobody would have got a hit. Definitely, um, definitely. I think, I just yeah. that interesting, the role of women in the Mafia. Definitely. It's something, I think that's something quite interesting, isn't it, Craig? Because I suppose as feminists, I quit the other side, it's not something we really think about. When you think, when you, when I say to you, gangster, you imagine a guy in a suit, don't you? You do. You don't imagine, you know, it doesn't conjure up the image of a woman in there when actually, you know, I, I hearken back to the Sopranos and I was thinking there were very, some very strong female characters in that, you know, mm. and you know, I was thinking of the Yakuza families, you know, that, that you know, that they, they have wives as well. And yeah, it's very interesting. And I suppose looking at a more recent representation of um, organised crime in England, particularly like um, Killing Eve. Sure. Have you, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No, it's on my list. There's, there's um, two characters. There's Eve and there's Villanelle. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a lot of organised crime going on. Sure. And... Eve has to try and stop Villanelle, but Villanelle is actually played by a scouser. Oh, interesting. Um, and you wouldn't know it because wow. her accent is spot on. It's Russian. It's perfect. Wow. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of 
interesting examples around organised crime. That's interesting. I suppose, you know, I haven't really written them down, but also, you know, the Russian Mafia, the Brat, they're also, you know, they're a very, a very predominant uh, organised crime family yeah. as well. Um, kind of while we're while we're in Asia, while we're scooting over Asia as well, we might as well name one one of the other organised crime families, which is obviously the Triad, otherwise known as the Chinese Mafia. Very ancient society, a bit like the Yakuza. They originated in 17th century China when the Hongmen came together in an attempt to overthrow the Qing Dynasty. Um, in an unsuccessful bid, I might add, to restore the Ming Dynasty, uh, members were expected to regard each other as blood brothers, which is perhaps why they've become more known colloquially as the Chinese Mafia. Sun Yi on are the, the largest triad group, and they were founded in 1919 with 25,000 members worldwide. Currently, it used to be a lot more, though, however. And we still see them, you know, we still see them dotted around as well. There are some, you know, various Chinatowns in the UK, there are some there as well. You know, you sometimes, you know, you hear of, hear of crimes still occurring. So they're very much on our doorstep as well, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think. I mean, it's even seeped into popular culture, like the Godfather. Absolutely. Um, who was it? Who was it that played the Godfather? I can't remember. What, I wanted to say Al Martino, but no, he was, he was actually in it. He's in um, Meet the Fockers as yeah. well. I think he um, directed, didn't he, Francis Ford Coppola? He directed it. Did he? Yeah. Nick Cage. Maybe, maybe so. Cool. Um, I was just... That guy who... The grey-haired guy. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. The dad did meet the parents. Yeah, I know who you mean. I can't remember his name. Um, um, was it Robert De Niro, was it? Yes. Yeah, Robert De Niro. We got there in the end. Was, was it Robert De Niro? Yeah, because I think he was in The Godfather as well. He was in... Hold on, let me have a look. I'm going to have to confirm this now. Just because I'm purely curious. And everybody would be like, God, he doesn't know his movies. <laughs> but then we've also got things like Goodfellas. It was Al Pacino. Al, Al Pacino. We got there. We got, we got there. In Al the Pacino. Um, yeah, we have got things like Good Being Goodfellas. It's fantastic. And all I can think is pizza. Yeah. I think about that. Sorry, Italy. Uh, <laughs> do you want to read the ranks in the triads for us, Craig? While yeah, we're going through ranks. There's uh, many different ranks in a triad. So leaders, the Shantou Mountain Master. Mountain Lord, the First Root Marshal, and the Dragon Head. This is if you're in Asia. There's uh, also Fu Shan and Fu Sorry. It's okay. Fushan Chu, uh, who's a Deputy Mountain Master, an Assistant Mountain Lord, and there's also Heng Chu, which is a Incense Master. Which is also the leader. Oh right. Okay. Cool. Um, See incense speaks to me of being like those wafty pleasant things yeah. that you liked basically <laughs> but maybe that's a different no no, it's an, no 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 it's, it's interesting uh, we also have the sing from vanguard as well which we need to put that's one of the heads as well yeah. sorry i apologize the hingshu is not the it's not the it's not the head it's the sing vanguard who's the the head of the of the triads i do apologize so i think it's interesting greg you know obviously we've got some examples here of the black mafia as well they were founded in philadelphia in 1968 by samuel christensen they're often referred to as the muslim mob as christian converted as a christian converted to islam ran rackets as far as new york particularly in the harlem area uk-based gangs for our brothers and sisters here you know we've got the Richardson gang the firm with the Craig swings and the Noonan family yeah. um, the biker gangs such as the Hells Angels and the Bandidos obviously more American again they have soldiers right hand men as well um, so it's all very interesting Craig I suppose I suppose my, my question to you as well is, is um, while, while we're on this is is there a place in society for these people in terms of because I don't think it's as black and white as it seems is it it's not and as somebody who fervently believes that crime is not a good thing mm -hmm. i would initially say no however then my therapist training takes over 
and I then think, well, actually, yes, this person, regardless of whatever they did, they're still a person. Yeah. And they still deserve the same rights and privileges as anybody else unless they've done something which they deserve to have them taken away for. Sure. I mean, that's since it's institutions, though, should they exist? I'm just curious. And I'm putting that to you. I know, I know, I know obviously, your gut reaction is always no. And especially, yeah. I know you come, from a very, you come from a police family, don't you? But, I do. I but do, but yeah. also, my, I guess my point is, they absolutely do evil, and, and there is no place in this world for the things that they do. But there's also the other side of it, where they're also, in some regard, helping people as well. Helping people as in making their lives better because they're having... Hits power on people that they don't like. <laughs> well, that's not quite what I meant, but yeah, I mean more in terms of buying, you know, being there for people, paying their bills, etc., etc., buying school uniforms. Yeah, there is a very charitable side to the mafia, uh, particularly, and of organised crime and, and organised crime in general. I suppose organised crime only exists because they obviously need the money in mm-hmm. some way. But, you know, there's, there's prosperity and there's um, lots of different aspects to it. Just looking back at the examples of loan sharking and narcotics, and it's it's a very, seems to be a very luxurious yeah. kind of job in which they think they can do what they like. But I would say that perhaps there is a place for people like that yeah. because even though they deal in bad things, not necessarily that they're a bad person. Yeah, I mean, because or, or, they've always yeah. got the family at the heart of it. True, yeah, and obviously, family, family is important, isn't it? I suppose that's the key thing with 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 family, with, with, with organised crime groups is, that, is they're all for each other. But then I suppose the other side of it as well, they're also doing this by oppressing other people and ruling by fear and obviously by gun, aren't they? You know, and mm. that's. That's quite horrifying. It's interesting though, and I think I think that we've we've certainly adopted organised crime, haven't we, Craig, into our pop culture as well. It's not just part of us ourselves. You know, we see it in movies. You know, you use the example of Godfather before. You know, I've, I've written some examples down. You know, of kind of you know kind of the ideas of, of, um, of you know of movies and games and things like that that have appeared in. Like I've, I've said like you know in our popular culture, the Graveyard of Honor. That's the Yakuza film, City on Fire, a Triad movie, Boys in the Hood. Sopranos, Godfather, Goodfellas, The Departed, The Accuser video game, Like a Dragon, mm-hmm. Mafia series video game, Sleeping Dogs. Okay, it's very strange. I suppose you you see a lot of that organised crime in things like oh, what was that program called? Oh my God, it was on television like months ago, and people raved about it. Mm-hmm. It was by Jed Mercurio, um, and it was about AC12, mm-hmm. the crime corruption. Wow. Did you see it? No, I didn't know. It was really good. I can't remember for the life of me what it was called, and I'm going to have to check it, really. Um, so, no, it's fine. while I do that, perhaps move on to the next example. Yeah, no, I, 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 well, I was going to ask you, Craig, as well. One, one thing I was quite interested in was, do you think these kind of organisations are born from trauma? That's something else I wanted to put to you, because we, we talk about kind of these people as almost subhuman in, in weird ways, but is, is there something quite human of why these organisations are formed? Okay, firstly, I found out the answer. It was Line of Duty. Oh, okay. Uh, so Line of Duty is a great series, if anybody's seen it, it's about organised crime in England. Really, really good series. As to your question, is there a specific reason for that and how is it formed? I would say perhaps sort of organised crime could be considered as a response 
to trauma because people act out in ways that they know will get them noticed, I mm-hmm. suppose. And I suppose perhaps as somebody who is particularly uninformed uh, regarding trauma development at the moment, I intend to develop that going forwards. <laughs> but um, I would say that there might be some kind of they're trying to create society for themselves yeah. they're trying to create a mini society or a mini organization within a wider culture sure. which is an alternative subculture yeah well, it, well that's one of the words i was thinking of as well i mean obviously yeah. that's quite a strong word for to use subculture but because obviously we're certainly not saying that people like goths or you know moshers or anything like that fall into that category but what, what we're saying is though there's clearly a sense of identity that is developed by joining these organisations, oh, yeah. isn't there? You yeah. Know? I mean, thinking about the Gambino family again, they were so proud sure. about being within the underworld, the, the criminal underworld. They were sort of like, don't mess with our family, mm-hmm. otherwise we're coming for you. Sure. And I found it really particularly interesting how the leadership changed sure. in the Gambino family. Sure. Like, people, they just shot them. <laughs> they Absolutely. Like, that's it. Your time's over, mate. There's um, a real desensitisation to human life in these. Not, I don't just mean the mafia. I mean, all through all, you know, Yakuza, there's a real kind of life is very expendable, isn't it? Yeah. Well. They, they do see life as expendable. And I do think there is something to do with the nature of power there and the sort of seat of power and how people grab power. I don't... There's a point there No, somewhere. no, no. Yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying. And I suppose, I suppose it kind of comes back to the, the other thing I was saying is why does organised crime exist? And some of the examples I've gotten, what, what I've found from my reading would be prosperity obviously as you said before it's about getting money it's to find a place to belong so if you're not belonging somewhere and it's also to fight oppression and you often find places to belong in, in pretty much Craig like far right groups don't you and I don't want to call them it's the one with the references on you got it yeah uh, you've got it I thought you would do I think I think it's interesting isn't it like if we talk about the far right groups I don't like to refer to them as gangs I prefer I'd rather call them more terrorists because I think to me that's what they are I suppose gangs are terrorists to an extent aren't they mm-hmm. if you want to be if you want to be technical because you know the, the, the term for terrorism is you belong to organizations to spread fear and cause corruption and cause cause death and devastation and that's what gangs do and I guess like if you think of like the, the Arabian Brotherhood who exists within the prison system you know they're, they're white supremacists and they kill in the prison system or the Ku Klux Klan you know they join those organisations to find a place to belong because they feel oppressed they're not mm. they're not they're, they're actually very privileged you know that white privilege side but mm. there's something about these places finding a safe, there's a safe space for people isn't it in these areas there is, yeah. there, there is safety in numbers sort of like protection from the outside world, you know, if, if if somebody doesn't like what they do, they will be backed up and they will be supported by the group that they've joined. And I think in more general terms, having groups and different organisations do create a sense of belonging, do yeah. create a sense of stability almost, Definitely. especially if they join the mafia at a point where there's nothing for them in life no. and they can promise them so much you know they can promise them power wealth sex pornography all of that they can promise them all of that and it's almost like trying to hoodwink them into mm. into a life of organised crime. It's almost like a quick way to the top, isn't it, Craig? And I don't mean that. In yeah. a, I'm sure they're very hard, by the way. That's not that I, I don't doubt how hard it must be to be in those organisations. There must there must be some real, I guess, desensitisation that has to go on to be in there. But uh-huh. I guess why work for things when you can just get it? You know. I mean, that serves to instant gratification, which is um. Sorry, guys. I'm trying to crack my neck. Is no. very problematic in certain cases. But I suppose if they want that bar of chocolate, (laughs) (laughs) 
So they can get rather, that part rather, of chocolate. Rather a, a strange example, Craig. Like, I don't know what kind of chocolate you're eating. Um, it, it's interesting, though, is I, I suppose, you know, I'm coming back to kind of counselling. You know, we spoke about criminological theory and sociological theory, but from a counselling theory, you know, particularly if I think of Rogers, you know, UPR, they must be finding some UPR, some acceptance in those yeah. groups. And, you know, we talk about the actualising tendency. Are people in the Yakuza, the Triads, the Biker Gangs, the Hells Angels, the, the Bratva, you know, the Richardson Gangs, the Noonan Gangs, are they becoming self-actualised by doing that? Are they reaching their full potential in these gangs? That's interesting, because if we have a look at the Italian gangs, as I say previously, the way in which they sort of move people on from their posts yeah. is to kill them. Sure. So by killing other people, is that a form of self-actualization? Sure. Is that them sort of climbing to the top and becoming the best that they can be? Definitely. And we could say that about... That's you interesting. Know, well, we said, you know, we spoke about serial killers, didn't we, on, on one of our older episodes. And if you haven't seen it, guys, check it out. It's, it's quite an interesting episode. And I suppose I, I'm thinking back now to kind of the, the serial killers that we discussed. And, you know, obviously, I would never like to imagine anybody killing anybody as a form of self-actualization. But if that's truly your if that's truly your goal in life, I guess, is what I'm trying to yeah. say. If that's truly your environment and that's the way you prosper, who's to say that's not you self-actualizing? To be very controversial, that's a very, I mean, that was a very controversial opinion. But oh, it's technical, though, isn't it? You know, if we really talk, you know, I told you about my colleague who did the, the, the paper about is suicide the final component of the actualizing tendency mm. who are we to say what that is you know well self-actualization is different to everybody isn't sure it? absolutely everybody has a different perspective and we're not saying that killing people is a form of self-actualization we're just saying it could be yeah you know we don't have any mafia people here to interview um, <laughs> although if you are listening to this <laughs> Don't invite trouble. <laughs> Do not invite trouble. But in general, I think, you know, there is something to be said about wholeness, really. Yeah. It gives them that sense of purpose, that worth, that empathy and understanding. Sure. Perhaps they're committing crime because they feel like the world doesn't understand sure. what they want, what they need. Sure. And maybe they're out for retribution, perhaps. I mean, it, it sounds almost the way we're, way we're almost, it's almost like they're tragic villains, which maybe, maybe they are, I don't know. But there's also something about, we're also not not, not acknowledging the, the harm they do, and they do incredible harm, mm. and obviously they do a lot of stuff to, you know, to, to oppress people, which is absolutely horrific. I guess I guess as well, I suppose it's quite interesting, you know, we've talked about The Sopranos before, and... I suppose what I was interested, Craig, is how do we work with these people's clients? Because I know it happens, because I've, I've heard stories before of people, I'm not, not talking about the people who have been sat in the thingy with John Cardotti, Gargotti or something like that, but, you know, I've heard people working with people who have been in gangs, you know, around Manchester and, yeah. you know, you know, in London. It has, I've not, you know, it's not something that's unheard of. I was wondering what you think on that. I mean, I am currently very inexperienced as a, a trainee therapist, but if I was to work with a person of organised crime, I would just follow the procedure of empathy, mm -hmm. congruence and unconditional positive regard. Yeah. I mean, I would have to be honest and say to them, yes, I disagree with what you did, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean you are a bad person. Mm -hmm. It just means that or you what, were. <laughs> what, what you did yeah. is a bad act. But underneath, like Rogers always believes, people start out as good mm -hmm. and that's the point I was trying to get to yeah you know in the sense that something happens to them mm -hmm. and it changes them and what happens to them is that the world happens to them mm -hmm. and gets to them before they get changed does that make any sense definitely no it makes it makes complete sense I suppose does it is yeah it makes, look confused. no no you've actually made me think and I was thinking what's quite interesting is we have our families who put conditions of worth on us don't we and by mm -hmm. going into a gang 
or organised crime syndicate, we're having more conditions of work partners, aren't we? Yeah, to... because there's certain sets of rules one's got to follow, yeah. I suppose. And you can't be part of this unless you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know, harking back to a quote I remember hearing years ago in criminology but about, about a young, um, a wise guy, they call him a wise guy, a young soldier, joining one of the one of the Italian mafias and they, they were saying that if I tell you to kill your sister, you kill your sister because we are your family now. Mm. You know? That sounds slightly scary. Really. But powerful as well, isn't it? In terms of a, in terms of a, a message. It's, it's mm. we are your family now. We are to... your blood. And I suppose that when they, they prick the finger and they, they put the blood on the Virgin Mary, mm. that symbolises that that bond, doesn't it? I suppose, really, it's just a way in which the idea of the organised crime is a, a family unit. It's sort of a very dysfunctional family unit mm-hmm. in the sense that we kind of own you now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've given you this, now you do this for us, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I can't imagine it, really. But personally, I would struggle with the fact that a client has committed crimes, for example. Sure. I'm not talking about, like, there's confidentiality issues and risk yeah. issues in that as well, isn't there? You know, it's almost like oh, you're telling me this stuff. How can I? How can I? How can I keep this to myself? You know, I suppose contracting with with somebody like that that must be really hard. That would be really difficult you because, know. as therapists, uh, we're supposed to report any harm to self or to mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. but also we're supposed to report things like drug trafficking. Of course, you know, of course, like human trafficking as yeah. well. You know, if somebody if somebody comes in and says, "Oh yeah, by the way, I've got I've got a container full of." cocaine or young women or you know or young men you know it's all of children you know you, you there is that kind of we would have that odd or we would have that um that obligation mm. we would have to break confidentiality wouldn't we and i suppose that puts us at risk as well you know i suppose that's something i didn't think of as well we would i suppose by working with these people we would also be at risk to an extent yeah but then mm. i'm thinking what would have got them into that state in the first place mm. and how glamorized is organized crime in order for them to think yeah it is a really positive thing to do mm-hmm. because i feel part of a group sure. and yet i wonder if they ever think it wasn't worth it it's not worth it i wonder if they ever come to the realization that there is consequences for their actions sure. and they will charge for their actions yeah, yeah I mean, it's interesting you say that because you do you do see kind of like i don't know i've seen i watched something recently called the twilight of the yakuza and it was one of the the old oil buns who'd gotten out of it and he was saying kind of how looking back on it there was regret there which is quite interesting you know because because you, you almost imagine again the gangsters to be remorseless don't you and some maybe do feel something there as well you know Perhaps they're, they're they don't in, realize what they're getting into maybe there is that desensitization again though isn't it Craig? there is a, there is certainly a switch there has to be some sort of switch off point and we have very much as well, I think, you know, we talk about them, but we very much embrace them as part of our culture. We've allowed them in and we've, we've accepted them. You know, we've, we've put them into our movies, into our songs, into our, our families. You know, it's really, it's really unusual to see something that is so inherently, I guess, wrong. I mean, if, we're, if I'm sitting on the fence here, I, I want to argue the other side of it, though, because it clearly are benefits to it. Mm. But we've also completely incorporated them into our society, haven't we? Mm. I suppose my question to you, Craig, is, is organised crime to ever, to forever be a part of our culture, in your opinion? I would say, yeah. Yeah. Because... It's so large, I don't think the police can stop everything. And also it depends on how people are raised, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. We can't we can't control people in that sense. We, you know, they are free to make their own errors, mm-hmm. judgment, and make their own sort of like decisions in life. And I suppose if they end up there, or if they end up in front of us as therapists, sure. we have to sort of meet them where they are. 
that makes any sense. Definitely makes it makes complete sense, and I think that it's something I don't think we'll ever get rid of. Really, I think I think we created them. If it, you know, to call a spade a spade, and I don't mean us as in was now. I think throughout history, I think by the way we've oppressed people, by the way that people have often been kind of trodden down on. You know, I think these people have been created and banded together, and I think these unities, although we've, we've certainly clamped down on organised crime, there's no two ways about that. I don't think it's something that can ever be gotten rid of because I also think it's somewhat part of the human conditioning as well. We have a we have a feeling, and you know, to look to quite deeply into, we look we look to places to belong, don't we, Craig? We look to places for safety and security, and absolutely. Also, we look for the, the the sexy, glamorous kind of life which that provides as well. The living dangerously, the living life on the edge. You know, there's something very romantic about it as well, isn't there? Mm. Or Shakespearean tragedy, maybe. Yeah, very sort of like live by the sword, die by yeah. the sword kind of uh, um, approach. Um, I suppose, you know, if we if we just look at one example of organised crime in England, like like the Cray twins, mm. uh, Barbara Windsor, sure. God rest her soul, wonderful actress. She knew the Cray twins, mm-hmm. and she said she had a glamorous lifestyle with them. Sure. I think she was married to one of the twins. Oh, was she? I think she was, or dating one of them oh, right, at okay. some point. And she said that they kept her very well, you know, <laughs> kept her very accustomed. Good old Reggie and Ronnie. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It's it's just interesting. I can't. Even, I need to. I need time to cogitate over it really. But, but, to give I, a full I, answer. Yeah, I mean, because obviously we're you know I've come as a criminology, I've come as a sociologist. Like one thing I've got actually, Craig, in terms of literature, have you ever come across any of this in your English studies? Has there ever been any kind of kind of things you guys have studied? There's been different perspectives on it. Just out of interest. The only thing that I can possibly think of in terms of literature would probably be um, Jekyll and Hyde as one example okay. of crime in literature. Okay. Uh, but there is also things like Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. the classic Sherlock Holmes, wouldn't necessarily say is organised crime. There's not been any kind of literature that's kind of touched on kind of the organised crime then you would say? Not that any I, theoretical stuff? Or? I would say yeah, there is stuff out there, but it's not in... The terms of the stuff sure. that I've actually read. Sure, sure. I mean, I can do a, a, a quick search for organised crime in literature, but beyond that, I don't have any specialism within that, Right. No, 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 that makes sense. I was just purely curious, actually, because obviously you kind of expect to hear these things in sociology, criminology, and probably criminal psychology as well, but yeah. I suppose it'll go a bit left of field. Because it's funny, because you hear about serial killers, for example, in literature, don't you? That's quite heavily oh, yeah. written on it, you know, particularly horror and, you know, the kind of those kind of themes. But I was quite curious, really, if, if organised crime is something that kind of comes up, because it is very romanticised, and, you know, if, you know, obviously plays and... You know, very much kind of like Romeo and Juliet, the, the two families that they're, they're together, they're almost like warring crime families in a way. That's aren't a good they? point. You know, it just, I'm just purely, that's why I'm purely curious, actually. And uh, I suppose know. Othello, if you think about yeah. Othello as a character, he was, I think he was a Marquess, mm-hmm. uh, which was like somebody in war, somebody in as a general in mm. the army. I suppose, I don't know, could, could we class the army as organised crime? Or <laughs> that's ter- very controversial. In, in terms of not necessarily organised crime, but organised defence. I right? guess, I guess, yeah. We've got mafia members calling up, or, or, kind of call themselves soldiers, don't they? Which is quite interesting. And I suppose they're fighting their own war, Craig, mm-hmm. but a war within the streets. And I think that kind of the sad thing about that, I don't know if you agree with this, but that their war never ends. I suppose it doesn't really. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it will, because what what is the aim of it? Mm-hmm. You know. Fascinating, isn't it? I think I would. I also want to say to people as well that there is some great 
texts on there that I'd highly recommend. There's one by Alan Wright that was in 2013 called Organized Crime. There's one called um, there's one by um, Jackie Dickey, 2007, which is Costa Nostra, which obviously again means this thing of ours, history of the Sicilian mafia. And um, Stephen L. Mallory, 2011, did Understanding Organized Crime as well. They were three really good books. I'd highly recommend them. Brilliant, brilliant authors, and they offer great perspectives on um, on on all on all the, of all the mafia members and, and organized crime syndicates. And the cultural differences as well, which I think is really interesting. I think that's that's the other thing, Craig, is what we have to acknowledge is that organised crime differs from culture to culture as well. It does, it does. Mm-hmm. And uh, just quickly going back to your question about whether this sort of like organised crime in literature, mm-hmm. after a quick Google search, it seems like there's plenty, plenty wow. of organised crime. Um, Would you be able to put some of that up on for the people on there as well? Just just a couple of links onto the thing because I think that's quite good. Yeah. myself particularly. I find that quite fascinating. So there's one novel by Dick Ler and Gerard O'Neill, a joint novel, and it's called Black Mass. Oh, about thingy about the, the Irish gangster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bulger. Is it Bulger? Bulger. James Whitney. James Whitney. James. Yeah, James Whitey Bulger. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, that's the Man's one. And his gangsters. And uh, there's Invisible by mm-hmm. Stephen L. Carter, um, which. Has any theory touched on it? I'm interested. Theory? L- literature um, theory, academia. I'm just I'm purely curious, actually. Might be interesting for, because obviously I know you have quite a few literature cohorts who listen to this podcast, so it might be something that they might want to check out. Yeah, I mean. I suppose one of my colleagues who does is doing a PhD in crime and spaces might know. Mm-hmm. I will ask Sarah. So if she's listening, I will be in touch with her shortly. That's cool. um, but I'll definitely ask Sarah because she's doing a lot of organised um, PhD stuff mm. around the detective. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so she might know a lot of theory around that's really that. Interesting. I think one of my final yeah. thoughts on this, Craig, and I don't know what you think about this, but what I've kind of deduced from this is we can't live with organised crime, but we also can't live without it either. I think it's become very much a part of our society and very much part of our cult, our conscious. Mm-hmm. I think. And I think there is controversy. I think there is a place for them. I don't know if it's a legal place, but there certainly is a place and they found it, haven't they? They have. Also, the idea of going into organised crime is a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, Or is it? Out of interest for some people, do they have it dep- no? It depends on people's backgrounds mm. and circumstances, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we're it... talking from two white privileged males, aren't we? As well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we're working class, but what what I mean is that there's also that perspective on that, though, isn't there? Mm-hmm. There is, and there's only so far we can go with sure, that. Sure. Um, but I would say, I don't know. It depends on the class background and the circumstances of an an, an individual, but perhaps, perhaps there is a choice, and perhaps there's not a choice. I think it's I think it's very interesting. And I think that this will be something that'll be debated for many, many years and I think that we've we've touched on that really well and I'm really pleased with I'm really pleased with this episode. I think it's quite interesting and I hope it gives a good you know, because one thing I want people to understand, this isn't about talking about every single organised crime syndicate there is. We know there's so many across the world. We would be here for days if we were gonna go through them all. It's just about kind of giving a brief idea of some of the key the key ones and, and, and really giving a bit of a background on them and discussing the different rankings on them and, and really just seeing if there is a place for them within society and if they're always going to be part of our society as well. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you asked me earlier about any sociological theory around crime mm. in terms of criminal activity. Pat Carlin, I think it was 1989, mm-hmm. conducted a study regarding women mm-hmm. and crime. Right. And she actually found that, off the top of my head, because I've not read the notes on that for years, because it was all day level stuff, 
but she actually found that you know working class women were having to commit crime i.e stealing things in order to survive you know for their children you know it might be nappies it might be milk you know it could be anything really but there is lots of stuff there yeah so I do think there is a lot to be said for crime in the sense that yes it might be bad but we don't actually know because it depends on the individual circumstances of what the person is living in what the person is having to go through yeah there's a whole array isn't it Craig of socioeconomic factors mental health factors um, Mm. cultural factors that that make different all of these different groups but also organised crime as a whole and I think that what I will say and I think think for me what I'm definitely settled on with this is there is no answer to this I think they do belong in some regard and in some regards they don't as well I think however we however we look at it we're stuck with them and I don't mean that even negatively I just mean that in terms of they are very much part of our consciousness now and I can never see them being removed so long as society exists I think you're quite right especially Um, in a capitalist society as well in general they they were born out of wanting to go a different way if Mm. we look at the Sicilians you know they they were very wealthy to do individuals like it was a gentleman's society wasn't it yeah um, well, they came from. Well, at the start, it was quite poverty stricken, wasn't it? But they became. They yeah. became. They became that because they had to escape Sicily and um, because of the French, the French um, colonization at the time, the French settlers. Mm. Yeah. It just goes to show that there is a multitude of different reasons why people would go for crime. Definitely. So, if you're listening, Gary, hope you enjoyed that. Excellent. And I think we can probably finish. I, I agree, Craig. I think we've done that really well. And, I, I, you know, it's great to be back and we look forward to our next episode. I don't know what we're going to be doing in the next one. I know we've got a few, we've got a few things lined up. But maybe we could ask the audience, you know, we've got terror cults. Not terror cults, cults and terror. You know, not, not a terror that's a cult or a cult that's a terror. Two separate things. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's also worth mentioning to our listeners that normally we record via Zoom, but actually... We're in person. We've just done it in person. Which is rather lovely and uh, quite warming, isn't it, Craig? Yeah. It's a nice thing. It's, you know, we've got a couple of months off. We've done 13 great episodes. Well, 13... No, we'll say it. We'll be, we'll be big-headed. We've done 13 great episodes and it's good to be back. Now we're switching things up a bit. Season three. <laughs> season three. Oh, so yeah, season three. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, we've also discussed... We're looking to do a disability miniseries as well, so but we'll probably have guests on for that as well, won't we? Yeah, we've got a few guests lined up for that. Quite excited to get a couple of them on, to Definitely. be honest. Sounds good. Um, will we record so, yeah. in person with those or not? Probably not, because some of them are all over the country. All over the country, that's fine. So that could be... T- I mean, we can record in person, but yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. And thanks for watching.